Hi, and welcome to Building a Business That Lasts. My name is Jay Owen, and I'm your host. On a quest towards stories, ideas, and strategies that will help businesses last the test of time. Many businesses are started each year, but the number that lasts is a bit depressing. I hope to help turn that tide with this show. I'm super excited today to have Sherry Davidson uh, with us from from Davidson Realty. Sherry is one of those people that I have respected and looked up to for a long time, and uh, she is the kind of person in the community that you want as a business leader. People like to work with her. People like to work for her. Her business has been around for 28 years, is that right? 28 years. Um, which is really incredible. Being in the real estate business, they've gone through all kinds of ups and downs just because of the market as a whole, and so I'm excited to have this conversation today to hopefully help those of you listening get some insights and tips and strategies, maybe hear some stories that will be inspiring to you to help you build a business that lasts. Uh, we, we live in a world where it's easy to start things sometimes, but it's hard to finish well, and it's hard to uh, maintain things over time. So I couldn't be more excited to have Sherry uh, today. Sherry, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. So as I said, you've been in business for 28 years, which is uh, an incredible number. What I'd love to hear from you initially is how you got into the real estate business to begin with. What made you kind of make that move and and a little bit of your background that kind of led you into that world? Well, my background is financial. I was a CPA. I have a master's in taxation. And I really loved accounting, but I was very busy at times of the year when our family liked to do things like go skiing and so forth because that was right during tax season. So my husband offered that I come to work with him and he was with Arvida Corporation, a real estate developer. He is a CPA. We have a chief financial officer, so I wasn't really sure how I could fit into the company, and so his answer was simple, you'll be our broker. (laughs) I was like, okay. So I went and got my real estate license. I went to work for Marceline Realty. I got my experience, became a broker, and at the time we were starting World Golf Village as a development, so, set up the brokerage Davidson Realty, and went from there. That's awesome. So for those of you that may not know or may not be familiar with the area, uh, the World Golf Village sits kind of, it's it's technically St. Augustine, but it's far north St. Augustine. It kind of sits right between St. Augustine and Jacksonville. And I lived out here years ago uh, as a kid, and it was literally sticks and woods back in the day. So it's been amazing now. Uh, my family has made this our home, and uh, so it's really been neat to see that grow. And Sherry and Davidson Realty as a whole have been a kind of a, a cornerstone of, of making that happen. So really neat if you're in the area to kind of know some of that background and history of how that started. One of the things you talked about uh, there a little bit was uh, family and kind of getting engaged with family. That's one of the big things that matters to me. Kind of the, the primary title of this show is Building a Business That Lasts, but the subtitle for me is Without Sacrificing Family. And I think for a lot of people, it's hard to find that balance. And I'd love to hear you, because I know you have family that works in the business too. And obviously, you and your husband started out in the business. And now I know you have some kids that work in the business. So talk a little bit about that and what that dynamic is like. My husband handles the development part. I handle the sales, um, the realty, and the property management companies. And it's really interesting working as a husband and wife. We've had the company so long. My youngest son is 27. So one by one, my children, and I had no idea they would end up working with us, have joined us. So my oldest son helps with technology. My daughter helps with marketing. 
um, my youngest son was an engineer and then got his MBA and now um, helps with the development side. Mm -hmm. So it really makes for an interesting dynamic. I sit around sometimes, I'm so happy to have them there and I'm so happy to be able to rely on them because I have so much trust with them. But on the other hand, sometimes when I ask them to do something, it's like, is it mom nagging me or is this my boss telling me to do something? Right. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. So it's, I mean, it's fulfilled all of my dreams to be able to work with my family. All five of us are there together. It's, um, it's something I never imagined would be possible. But it's so it's, it's really interesting to balance work and family because it's, we're passionate about what we do. So even when we're out to dinner, my daughter's trying to get me to sign a proposal for marketing. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, I think that's one of the things that's really important to me. I mean, as you know, I have a bunch of kids and they're all, mine are all little, so they're not quite big enough to be involved in the business yet. And my wife isn't technically involved with the business, but I would say she's my number one advisor. I mean, if there's anything that I, you know, the first time I deal with a struggle or an idea or a thought, like she's the filter that it goes through. And I, I just greatly value that advice and insight. I think it's really neat that you've been able to build a business, not only that's lasted the test of time, but, but also has family involved with it. Cause it's not easy. And a lot of people struggle with that. I mean, people out there that have family, you know, husband and wife teams or kids involved with the business. I think, I think you could have a whole separate probably conversation just on family in the business because it obviously has some huge benefits, but also some, some challenges along the way too. Yes. So thinking about, uh, you know, the amount of time that you've been in business, I think that's one of the things that, that I'm most interested in uh, kind of learning from others and, and helping others kind of see these kind of things over time of kind of how you overcome particular difficulties, specifically in the real estate industry. I mean, I think about not that long ago, we went through a very, you know, severe um, recession and, and there was a lot of, a lot of fallout in the real estate industry, as you know. Yes. Um, so how do you make it through those time periods when, when you're in a specific industry and it feels like everything from the outside, at least visually, is falling apart in the industry? That was, that was an extremely difficult time because the way I, I always have a positive attitude and my faith is a huge component, I think, of how we run our business. But when things got so difficult, I think you make every, you know, you look back at things you could have done differently and all the mistakes you made and things were so good. We had, we had done really well with the development of World Golf Village. Real estate sales were going tremendously and you get a little lazy maybe you just maybe a little overconfident that you you don't worry about the next copy release and you don't worry about um, things that you think someone else in your company can handle and then you look at some of the expenses that you could cut down but I think when that downturn happened even some of the brightest people I know in the industry thought it would be a couple of years and we'd be out of it so you know, again, you could kick yourself because we cut, but we didn't want to cut anything that impacted our staff and we didn't want to cut anything that impacted our customers. So pretty much we cut what we could without really, really impacting things. And it wasn't near enough because the recession lasted so long. And um, I, I remember going to um, realtor, well, particularly builder meetings, and I would think, 
they couldn't sell anything. No one was buying a house. At least we could sell short sales and mm. foreclosures, and we were we were plodding along. They could sell nothing, and it was the most positive, inspiring group of people that pulled together during that time. And to this day, I just have amazing relationships in the industry because we all supported each other when times were so tough. So it's um, now things are better, and I hope I never forget the lesson of paying attention to all the little expenses because that's what will that's what will get you is quit paying attention to the things you don't think are big they're all big yeah my um uncle and my grandfather before that always used to say uh, watch the pennies and the dollars will take care of themselves and i think that that you know is a tough lesson one of the things that i've really been passionate about early on in business was was either being debt-free or trying to stay as debt-free as possible, except when you just really have to leverage things in certain situations. And that's helped us get through, you know, weaker or tighter periods. One of the things I think is awesome about you too is, you know, I browsed through your LinkedIn profile a little bit before I came and read some of your testimonials on there. And what's neat about it is that it's not just people who have worked with you that are leaving comments on people, but people that have worked for you. And Davidson Realty is multiple times one best place to work in all kinds of different uh, areas. And I'd love to hear from you with regards to the way in which you know, you've decided to treat other people and treat your team. You know, what kind of strategies or ideas have you employed over time that have helped kind of solidify that unit and, and make people be willing to leave those kind of comments. Because a lot of places, a lot of people hate Monday. And and I my, one of my big things is I don't want people, I don't want people to hate Monday. You know, right. a lot of people hate their jobs. They don't want to work. They, you know, and because they're in environments where that's not, it's not a very positive place to go. And so talk a little bit about that and, and how you think of building a team and, and what's important to you in those areas. One of the things like a, a core thing to me is people either have an abundance mentality or a scarcity mentality. There's there's plenty of business for all of us. And I think we treat our competitors and our employees. First of all, my employees and my agents, I know if I take care of them, they're going to take care of our customers. But even with our, I mean, there are other real estate companies that will call me and they need a conference room and their office may not be close to here. And I always let them use the conference room. It's like, there's plenty of business out there for all of us to make a good living. And I would just rather go through life cooperating with them than, I don't I don't need their business. I don't need to take business away from them. Yeah. I don't need to take agents away from them. I just need to, I need to worry about my business and my people and take care of my team. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I made a comment the other day on Facebook actually about, people that worry about their competition too much. And I think in real estate, especially from a competition standpoint, it's saturated. I mean, there, you couldn't be in a more competitive industry really because everybody knows a real estate agent. And so being able to stand out above the fray in that environment, I think that that, like what you're saying is, is so critical in that this idea that we have to constantly worry about what other people are doing. If we're always thinking about what other people are doing, we're not thinking about what we're doing. And I think for me, there, what I always say is, there's plenty of people that do good work, right? Like, I mean, you know as well as I do, like, you've got a ton of good agents. Davidson does an amazing job, but there's other people that do good work too. And it's the same thing for us. Like, we build websites, we do brands, we do all kinds of stuff. And there's other people that do amazing work. I mean, and, and, and most of the time, for me, it comes back to relationship. Like, why do you want to work with somebody? It's because of who they are 
and, and, and what they believe and why they do what they do. It's not necessarily what they do because there's plenty of people that do a good job at whatever they do. So I'd love to kind of hear a little bit of insight from you. You talked about faith. You mentioned family. And to me, th- those are actually two of our six core values as a company. And I'd love to kind of hear from you as far as, you know, that mentality of, of what drives your why as a company and, and kind of who you are versus just what you do. Well, our mission statement is value people first, and I think it all starts there. I heard something the other day, and it just it reminded me, you know, what would you do if you knew you wouldn't fail? And then the point was, with God in your life, he's got control of everything you're doing, so it's all going to turn out through his plan. Mm-hmm. So you can you can try things. You can go for things. And I really think you can't have a plan B. It's like, if you intend to make this work, and for me, my whole family works there. Like if our company were to fail, there's five of us without a job. So there is no plan B. You just do what it takes to make it work. And you never accept that it's good enough. Hmm. You've got to always be, there's always things changing in the world and in our industry and in our business. And if you don't try to stay up with what's changing and make yours better, you're going to fall behind. So, I love that. I love the simplicity of your mission statement, value people first. Our, our mission statement is actually way too long, and I think we're going to shorten it because I love the, the clarity behind that. It gives you an anchor to hold on to, and, and it gives you an anchor for all decision points. And I think for companies out there who haven't developed a mission statement or don't have kind of what their core values are, those are things that... I think I undervalued for a long time and I didn't really have in place. And the more I heard from successful business people, they all had this kind of cornerstone of when a decision needs to be made, if we're stuck between a rock and a hard place, we go back to that. Like ultimately the answer is value people first. And so in that scenario, that doesn't always mean you win. You know, sometimes you lose in those scenarios. And I think that's an interesting thing to think about of sometimes you have to make decisions as a business owner they cost you money, but but it's the right thing to do. Now, ultimately, in the long run, we all have to be profitable, or we certainly can't stay in business for 28 years. Yes. But what kind of situations are you, have you had, or any kind of stories or thoughts behind that, of where you had to make hard decisions that maybe weren't in your best financial interest, but but were the right thing to do? I think I've always tried to make the right decision to to make things right with anybody doing business with us. But I do have to tell you, there are some customers that are not reasonable. And I don't go that far. I'm going to back my team. They know that whatever they do, even if they make a mistake, I've got their back. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to take care of a customer. But if a customer's wrong, I'm just pretty black and white. And I'm going to try to do the right thing. It may not be every time to give into the customer, but when I think the customer's right, I'll do anything in my power to give something back to them. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I, I think that that whole mentality, people say things like, uh, the customer's always right, and I just totally disagree with that. Yes. I think that if the customer's right, we should do everything we can to make whatever we're doing right. But when the customer's wrong, we can't break our backs over that, and especially won't. I will never break my team's back over a customer that is being unreasonable. Because ultimately, like you said, I mean, you've been in business long enough to have plenty of situations where you deal with people that 
there's nothing that you can do that's going to make them happy. And sometimes you have to just let that person go. Yeah. And, and I think going back to even your mission of valuing people first, that people's not always the customer. Sometimes that people is your team too. That's right. That's right. You know, and there's always the threats of they're going to say things on social media. But what I found is those people that cause cause issues, most people around them know Mm -hmm. that they cause issues. So if they say something about our company, I can live with that. I just have to be able to look myself in the mirror every day. And if I think I made the right decision based on the facts, that's what I do. Yeah, and that's actually is a great segue into talking about uh, social media and just marketing as a whole because you're in a situation where you've been in business long enough that, you know, when I started my business, it was kind of the beginning of the internet years. Like social media didn't exist, the iPhone didn't exist, but the internet was around, you know, it was the very beginning, early stages of the internet. But with a company that's been around for as long as yours has, like you've seen that full growth from a technology standpoint. And I'd love to kind of hear your perspective on how how you've adapted to that over time because I think a lot of businesses have really struggled in those areas of here's what we always used to do and getting into dealing with, you know, what's happening on Facebook and blogging and emails and website. Like you guys kill it on that. You actually just launched a brand new website which I saw the other day and it looks amazing. Um, and like how have you transitioned over time into that technology world when you came from business prior to that? I give all the credit for that to my children (laughs) because I trusted them so much that when they would ask me to try things, I mean, Peyton set up a Facebook account for me, my daughter with me kicking and screaming. (laughs) 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 And, um, I love it now, but I, I stick to one thing. I mean, people are on Twitter and people are on Instagram and I just, I don't have time for a lot of it. I do have time to interact on Facebook. So I try to do one thing well. But honestly, she's, Peyton convinced me to start doing videos and we were doing a little flip camera and they weren't very professional and the truck was going by when we were staying in the yard and, but people loved them. Yeah. We got all kinds of views. So I think without the trust of my kids, cause I'm not sure someone else could have convinced me of things I should try, but I had so much trust in them that I, I moved through it with them. They were my guides. So having other people around that are, are, that's their strength. I mean, I think a lot of times I hear people talk about, you know, working on their strength or their weaknesses. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but I also think at some point in business, there's value in going, okay, these are the things I'm really good at. Yes. And I'm going to do those things. And I'm going to find other people who are really good at these other things and let them do those things. And what are the things that only I can do? Right. And that's and a huge question for a business owner to ask. Yes. And so I try to do the things I'm best at and only I can do. And, Honestly, I don't spend a lot of time worrying about technology. I'm really bad to just call my son if something's not working the way I want to because I'd rather spend my time doing important things to me than figuring out something with technology that I really don't care about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a couple other things I just want to mention briefly that you highlighted on uh, in that. One was uh, that I really tell people a lot from a marketing perspective is to find a platform to focus on. And I think what happens sometimes in this world is there's so many things out there from Pinterest to Snapchat to Facebook to Twitter to Instagram to LinkedIn. Like the, the, the options of platforms are almost limitless right now. And, and it creates so much noise. And it's, it's when people try and do all of those things, they almost do nothing well. And I think that you're wise to say, Hey, I'm going to focus on Facebook. Also in our area, I would say, especially in your demographic of business and everything else, it's probably the most popular, the most valuable anyway. And 
and being able to focus on one place, say, I can do this and I can hack and create relationships there, that creates a lot of value. Because really, to me, I think the biggest mistake that people make with social media in general is they try and turn it into the sales vehicle, which it can be, but really it's a relationship vehicle. It's just a way to connect with people. Like I'm, I'm probably kind of an oversharer in general. I post a lot of stuff. I share a lot of pictures of my kids, all that kind of stuff. But it creates relationships, and I have family all over the place too. Like my wife's from England. She's got family there. I've got family all over the country. So it's fun to share that stuff, but it also creates relationships with other people that you might not otherwise just be able to have the FaceTime with. I mean, then the, the second thing I wanted to hit on that you mentioned was you talked about creating videos that sometimes felt like they weren't very professional and things like that. One of the kind of ideas floating around there, around out there right now in the marketing sphere that's becoming very popular is document over create. And the thought process behind that is people just want to see what's going on and they want to be able to connect with you. And video is so huge right now that even when something is not like of uber high quality that we might prefer it to be, Doing something that shows off what's going on is actually better than not doing anything at all. Um, but that's a hard thing to wrap your head around, especially when you come from a world like I, I know you do, where like you, you really want excellence in all areas, and then you see something that you're like, well, it's not. I'd rather have a video crew come in, but would you? Like, it's not. It doesn't work time wise. Doesn't work money wise. It just doesn't make sense sometimes. Sometimes you can do a high end video in certain instances, but other times just documenting it. Uh, creates value. Like even in this case, we're I'm videoing this podcast, even though we won't probably publish the whole video, it it gives us a way to document what's going on and we can use some of those pieces to promote uh, this episode later. I think one of the things like Peyton did with me, it, she knows me so well and she knows our business so well and she knows the things I say repeatedly. She would literally walk in my office with a flip camera and say, sit right there. I want you to go through this, this, and this. And I could do that easier because actually public speaking and, and getting in front of people is not something I feel I'm very good at or mm. do I enjoy. So she just catches me off guard, gets me to say what she knows I say anyway. And then the, one of the greatest uses for us of the videos was recruiting because we posted different videos of what it's like to work there, what our training's like, what our culture's like, what agents make working there. And when people come in to interview with me, they've watched the videos and things I start trying to tell them because I forget they're in the videos. They're like, oh, yeah, I know you have the monthly luncheon cookout. You know, I know you have wine on Wednesdays. I know right. you, you know, it's like they they watched it and that's why they're there. And had I not gotten that message out on the video, I may have never gotten them to contact me and have the interview. So, um, but I do better when she just walks in and hmm. tells me what to say. So, I mean, having good people in place is paramount. Yes. Um, and so one of the things I think a lot of people have a hard time with, and I certainly did, and it's still hard work sometimes, is that idea of growing a team. And I'd love to hear some of your thoughts and insights on both kind of the hiring process and, and even the, the opposite side, the side we don't ever really look forward to, is the letting go process. You know, how you kind of think through those things when you're, when you're ready to go, okay, I need to bring somebody on from the team because you have different types of team members too. You've got administrative, you know, staff, but then you also have agents. So what's your thought process specifically as it relates to hiring as to how do you get good people in the door that are going to support your mission and represent your name well? I found it very difficult in interviews to truly get a good read. I, I'm really pretty good at discerning people's character maybe, but you can't always judge their work ethic and their ability to do hard things. So 
I'm probably not near as formal with it as a lot of people and have quite as much of a process. It's more of a connection with me. Mm-hmm. I either connect with them or I don't. I feel like they're a good fit for our team because our team is very much a team where they support each other and help each other. And if that's not who you are and that's not what you want to be, and the first question you walk in the door asking me the commission split, I, I know that that's, you know, you're just not a great fit for our team. But otherwise, I've learned to just give people the benefit of the doubt. With real estate as an agent, there is cost. Definitely, there's cost in bringing anybody on. But I find that people I wasn't quite as sure would be a success or a huge success, and people that come in that blow you away with everything they say don't always succeed at it. So I'm a little more open to letting people go through the training, get their feet on the ground, and see what works. And then I find that if I know they're not a fit for whatever reason, I'm quick to go ahead and let them move on because it's good for them and it's good for us. But, right. but I, I've gotten a lot more open because I can't, you can't judge a personality or that they're going to be successful. If there's so much more to it than that. Yeah. I think interviews, you know, they're good. You have to have an interview. You have to have a conversation, but ultimately like we can all kind of fake it on paper and fake it in person for a certain period of time. But when, it, when the rubber hits the road and you actually have to get work done, things change. Yeah. And I've always kind of subscribed to and believed in that idea of hiring attitude over aptitude. I yes. mean, people, for the most part, people can be trained to do a lot of different things. I mean, there's plenty of things that I know how to do now that I learned how to do. Very few of us just show up knowing how to do everything. Um, and, and obviously in certain industries, there's certain skill sets that are required just for entry. But I think that like, being a team player and having an attitude is just a huge, having the right attitude is really a huge, huge bonus. We've only got a couple minutes left. So one of the things I'd love to uh, kind of wrap up with is any particular resources that you use kind of for your own personal continuing education as a leader. Maybe it's a, a book or a podcast or a blog or, or a, a mentor. Like what, what do you do so that you're able to continue to grow and push yourself forward so that you can continue to push your team forward? Well, Brian Buffini is a real estate trainer, and he's in California, but he has a podcast. His is the training I use, but what I have found listening to his podcast is he interviews many different business owners types, and he books, he like, he sifts through so many books and and really only introduces his audience to the best. Um, that's one, and I mentioned it on your Facebook last night, was the 12-week year. Um, Brian Moran wrote a book with someone else, and it's called 12-week year. And instead of looking at planning and setting goals for a year, you do 12 weeks because 12 weeks is so much more manageable. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the 12 weeks, you take a week off, and then you set again. So you evaluate where you are at 12 weeks. And the thing that was so interesting, and it's really, really helped me, is that I, I set like very simple maximum three things I want to achieve in the 12 weeks. Then I set what activities I need to do to get there. And at the end of every week, I track those activities. And I believe the number is he thinks you should be at least eight, you should have achieved at least 80% of those activities for that week. So you're tracking and, and gauging your progress every week. And then at the end of 12 weeks, you reevaluate and set more goals. And to me, because if you're doing a year, you know, like if you're not even closed by June, well, I still got six months right. to finish my year. If you've only got 12 weeks, 
you've really got to be focused on your priorities and the activities you need to do. And it's changed my way of thinking. It's really, really been helpful to me. That's awesome. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. Well, thank you so much uh, for taking your time today. I know it's valuable and uh, you are definitely a leader uh, that I respect and uh, the type of business that I want to model my business after. And I hope this has been helpful uh, for those of you that have been listening today. And uh, make sure you check out our website at buildingabusinessthatlasts.com. We also have a Facebook group that we've started to share conversations and ideas and links to books and podcasts and all those other kind of things that may be helpful. Uh, but Sherry, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Jay. So that's a wrap for the very first episode of Building a Business That Lasts. Sherry Davidson really exemplifies the type of person that I want to be able to connect with myself personally. And as a result, that's the kind of person that I want to bring to you on this podcast. I mean, 28 years in business, family involved with business, community, leader, humble, gracious, kind, and successful just kind of the the barometer uh, that that points a lot of us in the direction where we need to go. And I really appreciate her time today. I hope that it's been helpful for you. And if you know somebody else that you think this might help, I would greatly appreciate it if you would take a minute and share this on your Facebook account or Twitter account or anywhere else that you connect with folks at. And also, if you're interested in signing up for our newsletter, Go to buildingabusinessthatlasts.com, plug in your email address there, and we'll be doing some special prizes and giveaways. So make sure your email is on our email list at buildingabusinessthatlasts.com if you want to have the opportunity to win something fun. We'll be announcing more details on that soon. But get on the newsletter to be the first to find out about those giveaways. And thank you so much uh, for taking the time to listen all the way to the end of this first podcast.